death, war, violence, lying, poverty, hunger, these are only a few of the topics that you would find if you opened your newspaper to page one today. Conflicts rage among us, from family disputes to issues with our friends, to our political climate, to religions. Violent and nonviolent conflicts seem to define our age. And as much as perhaps we like to think that we are unique and special, the reality is there's not much difference from our world than there was from the world of Paul. In his world, too, conflict raged. The emperor fought with other rulers. Pagan waves fought with new religions. Christians and Jews fought. Arguments between members of the young church existed. In his closing remarks to the church at Philippi, Paul reaches out to a community he loves and speaks into a disagreement. A personal disagreement between two of his friends, and he starts by asking them to have the same mind. Why address a personal matter in a letter meant for an entire community? Does Paul want to shame these women? I don't believe so. I think Paul calls attention to this dispute because he knows what we all know. That all conflicts begin with two people. The worst conflicts in the world, the worst wars in the world that rage, somewhere can be traced back to two people who disagreed and gathered others to their sides. Paul has spent the past three chapters of Philippians, he has spent years of his life trying to impart to them how to live a life worthy of God and worthy of their calling. Being in conflict with one, with one another is not congruent with their calling, nor does it stand in their witness as a new community of Christ. He calls them to remember who they are. Those who labor for Christ, those whose name is written in the book of life. It's about knowing their identity. C.S. Lewis, in his novel, The Magician's Nephew, wrote, What you see and what you hear depend a great deal on where you stand. It also depends on what sort of person you are. From where Paul is standing, the world should look bleak. He is in prison. The church is nothing but a drop in a sea compared to the vastness of the Roman Empire. People are being prosecuted. False prophets are springing up all around. And yet his command to the church in Philippi is rejoice. Rejoice always in the Lord. And perhaps it's better understood by an English word, celebrate. Because Paul is not talking to an individual. He's talking to the entire community and he is commanding them to celebrate publicly their God. All around the church in Philippi, there were people preparing feasts, going to festivals, giving money, dedicating temples to their gods. Paul reminds us that we are not to be ashamed of who we are. We are not to hide our identities from our communities. We are called to celebrate God together, to do so loudly, 
And not only are we called to, to show the world the celebration, we're called to show them our gentleness. Or really what we're called to show them is our forbearance with one another. That is our ability to be patient with one another, to be able to forgive someone else and to control ourselves in difficult situations. It's not as passive as we term gentleness to be. It is the hard work of living with other people, of putting the community of God before our individual desires. It is demonstrating a new kind of living in the world in which our identity is defined by the reality that the Lord is near in both time and space. We declare that Jesus is here and present, and because the Lord is near, we can feel secure in our identity. We have no need to be anxious, Paul reminds us. God is with us. No matter the situation, no matter the problem or the conflict, God is here. And we are to take all of our anxiety, our fear, our cynicism, our hopes, our dreams, and we are to hand them over to God with thankfulness. This is not a call to some kind of Pollyanna type of living. This isn't Paul telling us to act like an ostrich and put our head in the sand and ignore the realities of the world in which we live. This is a living of life that is so secure in its identity that rests outside of our own humanity. I have many heroes in this world. Some are real and some are quite fictional. But one of my first heroes came from a story I read when I was a child. And what all my heroes have in common, I have found, is their ability to live out the beauty of life in the midst of the unthinkable. There is a great story written that many of you, I'm guessing, have read. And if you haven't read it, perhaps you've seen it. I'm talking about the Lord of the Rings. Now, it's a wonderful story, but my favorite character has always been Sam Baggins. Now, if you don't know about Sam, Sam is not the hero of the story. He's the sidekick. He is the timid, often fearful one who recognizes just how scary and dark and dangerous this journey is going to be. And as he and Frodo head off with the ring to return it, they encounter the worst parts of the world. The things that are dark, that give us nightmares, they encounter loss and death and pain. And the hero of the story, Mr. Frodo, he reaches a point where he doesn't think he can keep going on anymore. He wants to give up. He wants to turn back and be done and admit defeat. Sam sees his friend is at the end of the rope, and he turns to him and he says, I know. It's all wrong. By rights, we shouldn't even be here, but we are. It's like the great stories, Mr. Frodo the ones that really mattered, full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. 
even the darkness must pass. A new day will come and the sun shines, it will shine all the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you, that meant something, even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I know now. Folks in those stories had a lot of chances of turning back, only they didn't. They kept going because they were holding on to something. It's perhaps easy for a fictional character to maintain a view of the light in the midst of darkness. It's harder for you and I. One of my other heroes was a young girl, a very real young girl, who lived through a time in which we saw the worst of humanity revealed. World War II was raging all around, and Anne Frank found herself hidden up in an attic. And in her diary one day, she wrote, In spite of everything, I still believe that people are really good at heart. I simply cannot build up my hopes on a foundation of confusion, misery, and death. I see the world gradually being turned into a wilderness. I hear the ever-approaching thunder which will destroy us too. I can feel the suffering of millions, and yet, if I look up into the heavens, I think that it will all come out right, that this cruelty too will end, and that peace and tranquility will return again. To be able to find hope in the face of so much pain in our world. This is a miracle. It takes hard work and dedication to be a person who can consider an alternative to the way things seem to be going. This is the peace that surpasses all understanding. As Paul talks about it in a military sense, it guards us literally. This peace guards our hearts and our minds in a way that protects us from the hopelessness that seems to be a characteristic of our world. That stops us from the fatalism that is so tempting to give into. Paul stresses that we cannot spend all of our life thinking on the things that are sad, that make us angry, that are dark. As Christ guards our heights, hearts and minds, we are called then to turn them in a new direction. We're called to look for the things in our world that are honorable and just and pure and pleasing and commendable and excellent and worthy of praise. It's become quite fashionable in our world to bemoan the future. In the past week, I have seen at least seven different articles describing different ways in which millennials are destroying the world. We don't go to Applebee's anymore. Real article. Read the comment section of any internet blog, and I promise you, you will find nothing that is pleasing or pure or uplifting. 
we seem to think that there's no longer any space for holding life in tension, of being able to acknowledge the realities of this world without letting them define us, define our community and who we are. As a community, we perhaps focus on dwindling numbers on Sunday morning and we declare the church is in crisis. We declare the church is dying. We work ourselves into a frenzy. We tie our identity to buildings and to memories. And we forget that we worship the God who declared that this is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things. Do not dwell in the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Paul calls us to remember in whom we rest, in whom we find our identity. The one who changes deserts into verdant fields, who brings mountains down to flat places for our feet. It's not easy to be a Christian who rejoices, who resists anxiety, who looks for the good and the beautiful. In order to fully live life in this way, a community must have a realistic view of the pain. The heroes that I love so much didn't pretend the world was only good. They saw and acknowledged the bad and the evil, but they refused to submit to its authority. They refused to give that darkness power over the hope in their lives. Paul goes on to tell his friends, for I have learned how to be content in any circumstance. I know the experience of being in need and having more than enough. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance, whether full or hungry, whether having plenty or being poor. I can endure all these things through the power of the one who gives me strength. The contentment that Paul talks about here is the same word that the Stoics and philosophers of his time would use to describe of being totally self-sufficient. But Paul flips it on his head when he tells the Philippians that the secret of true contentment is not self-sufficiency. No, it is total reliance on Jesus Christ. In another letter to another church in Corinth, Paul would write at one point that he heard from God. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Paul has seen his fortunes change over the course of his life. He has recognized the limitations of his own humanity on influencing the outcomes of his circumstances. He has learned not to be defined by his outward circumstances, instead finding his identity, his strength in Jesus. 
When your identity is rooted in Jesus, there's no longer any need to seek out wealth and power and status. No longer do we need to hide behind our gender or our skin color trying to hold on to something. Because an identity in Jesus is an identity that cannot be taken away. And all of a sudden, the root of most of our conflict is exposed and falls away. Because when we're no longer trying to protect ourselves, trying to protect the image that we have created of who we are in our own heads, we are free. In a famous novel written by Victor Hugo, later, you may have seen it as a play or a movie, Les Miserables, there is a wonderful story. We come upon the story of a man named Jean Valjean. He had been arrested and put in prison for 19 years for trying to steal food for his family to eat. As he's released from prison, he is branded a criminal. There's no hope for him finding work. And he is sent out into a world that is full of desperation and poverty. Jean finds himself in the home of a bishop who's invited him to stay for the night. The people who surround the bishop, his sister and others, they're concerned about letting this man in to their space. And as it turns out, they have right to be. When they wake up in the morning, Jean Valjean has disappeared, and so has most of the silver. And the sister tells the bishop, I told you, I couldn't trust him. Not long after, there's a knock on the door, and three policemen have shown up, and they have Jean Valjean and the silver with them. The priest, as the door opens, rushes forward. He says, my friend, I'm so glad you've returned. For you forgot the candlesticks I gave you as well. The police are shocked. He said, didn't this man tell you I gave him the silver? They said, well, he did, but we didn't believe him. The bishop says, no, I gave it to him. And they dismiss the police officers. Brings the candlesticks over to Jean and he he tells him, I want you to know that I have bought your soul for God. So take this and promise me that you will do good with it. What you see and what you hear depend a great deal on where you stand. It also depends on what sort of person you are. When the police looked at Jean, they saw one particular kind of person. When the women looked at him, they saw another kind of person. When Jean Valjean looked at himself, he also saw something. But the bishop, the bishop had a different perspective. In this world, we have a chance to hear and see a great deal. And how we understand those things depends on who we are and where we stand. Paul pleads with his friends to remind them and us that where we stand is in the kingdom of God on the unshakable foundation of Jesus Christ. Who we are. We are a people bought by the blood of Jesus, forgiven by immense and unearned grace. 
Therefore, we are called to see the world through those eyes. Through the eyes of Jesus and not through eyes of fear and anger and selfishness. We no longer belong to ourselves. We have been bought by the blood of the Lamb to do good in this world. And we have been given the privilege of seeing the beauty and the heartache and responding accordingly, forbearing with one another, loving one another as precious children of God, and celebrating the good news in our communities and our lives.